And I brought up my conversation with Corey and three other people in the group said, this is an exceptionally important issue. We need to do something about this. We're gonna go out on the field. We're gonna score as many goals as we can. We're gonna have fun. Oh, Becchio, well placed. I'd say it was a little over six months ago. I was doom scrolling, as I frequently do, and I came across this Instagram account, Athlete Transition Study. I was immediately intrigued by the handle. Kind of mysterious. I've seen and looked at lots of athlete transition studies before in my work on this show, usually in the form of JSTOR academic articles or whatever, but I'd never seen a social media page dedicated to a study. And I'd never really seen something that sounded so all-encompassing in its name and its purpose. So, I reached out. I slid into the DMs. Because I wanted to know, what was the athlete transition study? What made it different? Who was behind this? And soon enough, I started talking to this man. My name is Dr. Daniel Zimmet. I'm a, a licensed psychologist working in Columbia, Maryland, in private practice. And I'm also a CMPC um, which is a sports psychologist who works with athletes. And my specializations are in relationship counseling, work a lot with adolescents and young adults, particularly around that developmental stage, uh, and athletes at every age and level, senior athletes, junior athletes, uh, professionals, people just wishing to get more exercise. Uh, anyone who wants to be active is good by me. Dr. Zimmet the man behind the athlete transition study. Dr. Zimmet grew up an athlete, and he found sport to be one of what he called the most fertile learning opportunities. As he got older, as he got better, dedicated more time, most of his identity revolved around sport. He was a varsity soccer player, a travel soccer player. He was an avid skateboarder. And as an adult... He's competed in the Professional Handball Association, the court version of handball played like racquetball, not the Olympic version, and he's won 33 national titles. Through his own experiences as an athlete and as a psychologist, Dr. Zimmet had seen the pressure of sport, the incredible benefits of it, the importance of the mental factors for the athlete to be a good competitor and a healthy person. All this was a foundation of his life, his work, and soon enough, a new, exciting, and wildly important undertaking. I, I'm curious, was it one moment? Was it a certain, you know story that hit you? Was it gradual? Can you walk me through how you got the idea for the athlete transition study? Yeah. So um, I've worked with a number of athletes uh, and coaches and people who are in other aspects of sport. 
who experienced the transition process from the elite levels into the uh, community of retired athletes who have the rest of their lives to figure out. Because uh, when you are an elite athlete, it can be profoundly absorbing. And most of those stories are sources of hardship for people. They're traumatic. Um, for a lot of athletes, the ending of their career comes at a time where they're not ready for it. It's not of their choosing. Certainly they, uh, for many, did not achieve what they hoped to as an athlete, whether that means not getting a podium placement as an Olympian or not making the Olympic team or not even getting to go to Olympic tryouts. Uh, it really doesn't necessarily matter how high your achievement is. Many people have disappointments. They feel like their career was not what they hoped. And so much of who they are was absorbed in sport that they don't have the background skills or uh, tools or supports to really figure out what comes next. So it all hits them head on. So those conversations have taken place in my counseling office, at a coffee shop uh, with my colleagues. And I had a good friend of mine, Corey Boatman, who was a lineman for the Syracuse Orange Men. He was thinking about a career in sports psychology and I always invite folks like that into my office so I can talk to them about what the field looks like, what their ambitions are, help them to understand a little bit about what they might wanna do just to make sure that they're making a good choice. That conversation, which I always reserve an hour for, went on for two and a half hours. And at the end of it, I made the suggestion to a group of sports psychologists that I am the president of the Mid-Atlantic Consortium of Sport and Performance Psychologists, or MAXAP, there's 14 of us now. And I brought up my conversation with Corey and three other people in the group said, this is an exceptionally important issue. We need to do something about this uh, because although there are an increasing number of athletes who are coming forward talking about this very important issue, and there's clearly a problem here, very little has been done in the way of large-scale research. There have been smaller projects, uh, targeted projects, but really no project that I've seen that looks like what we're trying to accomplish. And seeing that made me feel like I have neglected and abandoned the population that I've kind of committed my career to trying to help. Um, because people like myself are the only ones who can do this. We have the tools, the education, the background, uh, and the exposure opportunities to be able to do the research. Athletes didn't go to graduate school to study how to conduct a research project like this. So this is our job. This is what we need to do. And I felt a real calling for it from that conversation with Corey and getting the support of other folks who are willing to work like I am. These are all volunteer hours. None of us are getting paid for this. And so they're volunteering their time to help build the website, build the questionnaires, move them into a platform like SurveyMonkey and make sure that we now network with folks like yourself to be able to get the word out and build a participant pool. It's just very inspiring how many people see the need 
And that's where at this point, since we're already three years in, that's where the energy ends up com coming from, our people who are also passionate about the subject. Yeah, what does large scale like really mean here? And I guess, yeah, can you dive in a little bit um, as to where you guys are at three years in right now? Yeah, so it took us two years to build out the questionnaires, which are very robust. Uh, they use modern survey methods, which, I mean, I'm going to just go ahead and date myself. There were no smartphones when I got my doctorate. Uh, the internet was infancy. I don't think Match.com existed. So uh, it was a point where everything was paper and pencil, and you just can't do a project like this that way. You'd have to do live interviews. Um, a number of people have done small-scale research, uh, more on the paper pencil end, five-minute, ten-minute surveys with groups of under 100. Those are sports-specific. They really are very narrow in their scope. Uh, and so in that two years, we built out the questionnaires, uh, which I can explain a little bit more about later. We have a normative population of folks who never played elite sport. We focus specifically on football, American football, because it's a sport that we feel really requires the most attention because of athlete outcomes uh, from football. But then we also have an all sport questionnaire where we want to learn about men, women, adaptive sports, every sport that is competed at the elite level. We want international athletes and we want people who played uh, NCAA, non-NCAA and D3-2-1 all the way up through Olympians and professional ranks. So its scope is vast. So it took us a couple of years to build the surveys. Um, then we built the website, which is um, athletetransitionstudy.com, which incorporates a wide array of information, resources for athletes, the survey itself you can access. Um, it talks a little bit about what we're trying to accomplish and why that took a while to write. So we just went public in May. Mm. Since that time, we've had about 300 people take our surveys. Um, that's wonderful. I, we really appreciate their time. It takes about 23 minutes for the athlete study to be uh, completed. It takes more like 10 or 12 for the non-athlete, elite athlete questionnaire. So it doesn't take long, but it does take a little time. So it's it's been difficult for us to really build a participant pool mm -hmm. of people willing to donate their time to do it. Everyone is passionate about it, but I know exactly how they feel. I want to save the rhinos. I want to save the rainforest, but I don't know that I've taken a questionnaire about it or sent money. Do, um, donating your time and investing in important subjects, it asks a lot out of people. So um, that number is very small relative to what we're hoping to be able to accomplish. We need on the order of tens of thousands of mm. athletes. And I'll tell you why uh, with a specific example. Let, let's think about football. We wanna be able to compare, let's just say um, the long-term cognitive and mental emotional health of individuals who never played football, played high school only, played through various aspects of college, and played a varying number of years in the professional leagues 
and we want to compare different um, positions to each other. So we want to know whether being a running back is different than being a quarterback, is different than being a liner, lineman or, or a corner or a kicker. We, we want to understand how various levels of participation, um, various position play, how the sports compare to each other, various upbringings, uh, why you ended up leaving the sport, whether you had concussions or severe injuries or chronic pain or sleep issues, uh, earlier childhood trauma. We really want to understand how to know who are the at-risk athletes um, and be able to identify programs and supports to be able to access them as early as possible. And the only way to do that is through tens of thousands of athletes uh, rather than hundreds of athletes. So for something like this, apologies for my, uh, I guess, coming off um, not as intelligent about the scientific method, but do you go in with like hypotheses or is it more just seeing, seeing what you collect? No, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, the answer is in some ways both, although more so the going in with hypotheses. So the only reason why each specific question is in the survey, and this is part of what took so long, is because we want to address very specific questions that we have about athlete outcomes and athlete, athlete experience. We're not just throwing darts into a dark room and hoping we hit a board. We have a sense of what we believe to be true. And we try to create very open, neutral questions that get to the heart of what we're trying to discover to see whether there's actually any veracity to what we believe to be true. And I'll give you an example. In my opinion, the athletes who experience career-ending injuries that result in chronic pain are much more likely to experience deleterious or negative long-term outcomes. Mood problems, sleep problems, those will affect their financial health, their relationship health. Um, and as a result of that, when people experience certain kinds of injuries, which we will hopefully be able to identify, we can get in there very early to understand that these are at-risk athletes. And because they're likely to develop, for instance, chronic pain conditions, we can get them set up with programs right away so we can immediately start to intervene in the hope of bypassing some of those long-term negative outcomes. Nothing like that exists at this point. Mm -hmm. it's, it's all just hit or miss or just hope for the best or worse, complete athlete abandonment where they are off the roster and then out of everybody's line of sight and they're on their own, largely being, in our opinion, and we're also studying this, supported by their spouses or by their parents um, with the encouragement of some friends who stick with them. But for the most part, off the conveyor belt and discarded. Um, and so we want to make sure that we get the, them the attention that they need. That is one of the hypotheses we're working from. And it's one of, honestly, hundreds of hypotheses that these questionnaires address. I mean, it touches on so many things. I'm thinking about all the subcategories. They're just like splitting off my head. You have, like you said, position, gender, sport, um, you know, injuries um, of varying degrees. Are you also looking at like 
how long it's been since someone retired? I mean, are you even recruiting like the the 65 year olds, you know, we would love to have some 65 year olds, (laughs) 70 year olds, 80 year olds. Uh, We want largely because they have a lot to say and they know from their personal experience, the sequence of events that they went through in the long term. So even though their memory of their transition process may be long in the past, um, there's a lot of wisdom there. And the last question we ask is, is there anything you can tell us about your transition experience and time since, since elite sport that can help us to understand this population any better? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're really wanting people to share their wisdom and there's no greater wisdom than the people who've gone through it before. I mean, thinking about all the sorts of, um, you know, questions we, you hope to be answered through this study. I mean, how do you kind of narrow it to, to those, that 23 minute survey? I mean, it must be pretty overwhelming to really home in on the, on the sort of verbiage. And like you said, it could probably be a, you know, an hour long survey, but you're, you're trying to make sure that it's something that it's accessible and people, as many people as possible do take it. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I have, I have sort of, I guess, two answers. One is there's a heartbreaking amount of information that hit the chopping block. Um, so many things that we wanted to ask and derived questions about and ended up having to cut because we are really specifically geared towards the transition process itself and their long-term outcomes. And so there's so much that we wish we could know that we just can't because again, like you said, no one's gonna spend an hour or few people doing the questionnaire and we really want a large scale response. The other answer to your question is, thank God for the internet. Um, The surveys use what's referred to as skip logic. So we'll ask certain questions as feeders into a more robust set of questions if those feeder questions are endorsed. So as an example, um, we ask people if they experienced a traumatic event, um, which we expect a certain number of people, maybe less than a third to endorse. If they say no, they just move ahead to the next set of questions. If they say yes, it opens up a questionnaire about PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder to find out whether there's um, trauma that is continuing to affect their mental well-being. However, more than a third of people who take the questionnaire will never have to see those questions. And we do that for a majority of the information, um, mood issues, uh, social supports, health-related questions, cognitive health, substance use, all of these questions have a deeply embedded skip logic. So you only take the questions that are specifically relevant to your sport experience. So for instance, um, with the football questionnaire, we don't ask professional questions if you only went to college. Uh, And that helps to keep it limited. But the more issues you experience and the harder your current and transitional process was for you, the more questions you're going to get. Um, And 
we're hoping that those individuals, because of what they go through, will be more willing to share because they know how important it will be for future athletes to get the type of care that they probably were not able to get early on in their experience post-sport or even while they were competing. Mm -hmm. And when, so when a um, retired athlete, let's say, fills out the survey, are you and your colleagues looking at that, the answers and compiling stuff right now and maybe coming up with some rudimentary findings? Are you guys really waiting to get to that, you know, thousands benchmark that you mentioned earlier? We're not looking too closely yet. Um, we've looked to make sure that the data is actually speaking to what we're trying to ask. You know, sometimes you ask a question and then afterwards you realize you're actually asking something else uh, or people are answering it in different ways. So we've looked through the data for that just for a clarity purpose. Mm -hmm. But at this point, you know, I'll give you a good example of why it's dangerous to do that. We have about 35 soccer players who've taken the survey so far. Uh, Dr. Uh, David McDuff, who is one of our um, lead researchers, asked his daughter if she would broadcast to her friends um, the survey. Within the next few days, we got about 20 or 25 soccer players. Mm -hmm. Well, they're all members of her soccer experience. So if we did an analysis, we would get a really robust uh, knowledge set about Dr. McDuff's daughter's soccer experiences, but we would learn probably something that would not be as representative as we want it to be to the rest of the soccer universe. So trying to get a well-stratified representative sample of the wider population requires a certain amount of diversity. And um, we don't wanna prematurely develop notions that end up biasing our open-minded view of the data once we get to that point. What would you say um, has been the hardest part of this process or the day-to-day the -day so far? Anything that's come up that you, has been an unexpected challenge? Well, I've never had to market before. <laughs> uh, you know, when um, my practice at this point is 20 years old, uh, I get a lot of referrals just through word of mouth and people being aware that I'm in the community. So I haven't done any marketing. Um, we don't have any money. We're, you know, our objective is to fully, totally, and in no ways be biased by receiving money from any stakeholder in sport. We want to represent the athletes exclusively. So we're donating all of our time and money. So I, I can't just say anyone who takes the questionnaire this week goes into a raffle for a hundred dollar gift certificate. Um, I suppose I could, but I'm not there yet. So the hardest part has been generating participant engagement. Everyone I've spoken to has been so passionate and cares so much from the athletes to the people who work with athletes. I've been ignored by certain elements of the sporting culture. Um, 
And that's, you know, I, I get it. I've been in this business long enough to understand what's going on. But just about everyone I've spoken to is super excited. But translating that into actual participant numbers has been my most current challenge. And that's why opportunities like your, the one you're giving me to potentially speak to a larger audience has something to post on Instagram. Mm -hmm. uh, th why that's been so helpful. Um, it's only through networking with folks like yourself that I can reach our constituency. Lots of people want athletes time and past athletes time and everyone's busy and strapped. Um, so I get it, but I'd say that's the most recent challenge. Not the only one, but the one that I've been tackling most recently. It's pretty amazing seeing the, the power of the Instagram retired athlete community. There's, there's, it's, it's pretty you know, strong numbers there. Yeah, I'm looking for the Kim Kardashian of the sport <laughs> community. So if you're out there and are willing to reach out to me and share my passion for this subject, uh, I would love to bend your ear for an hour about <laughs> you helping us find our participant pool. I want to go back to that thing you mentioned about the sort of excitement um, from people about the study. And I wonder if there's a uh, selection bias that maybe comes with that. You know, I find with, with my podcasts, sometimes I'll get an idea about, I want to tell the story of a retired athlete whose transition wasn't that hard, who, you know, just for that diversity, um, who maybe, I don't know, they didn't, it was a relief. They didn't care. I don't know. They didn't care as much. Um, and it's hard to find those people, understandably, because maybe they're not showing up on the retired athlete hashtag <laughs> on Instagram. And so I just wonder if you found that because maybe the most excited people have a certain feeling about their own retirement experience, that those are all the ones that are being drawn to the survey. You raise an extremely good point. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to with a non-judgmental lens, be, be able to make some observations, but having a representative sample in any research project is a challenge. And you always have to qualify your results that you may not have succeeded despite your best efforts. Even the um, census survey conducted by the US government runs into those kinds of biases. And they have a 99 point something percent um, return rate. So you have to always think that that's a possibility. If you're interested in one of those interviews, the people you're looking for uh, are often the ones who went to college with the expectation that playing as a collegiate athlete is all they really care or want to do. And so their approach to playing college is I'll retire afterwards, and I have to plan for that. Um, and they may not be as invested in their stats or how much field time they get. Uh, and so often they approach their retirement with this sense of comfort. Uh, there's no urgency, mm -hmm. and they end up being good with it. Uh, I've, I've also had people who transition out and they feel as though um, they've done everything that they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And they feel this sense of peace that they're retiring on their own terms. 
and anything that they did not accomplish is fine with them. Uh, they did enough. And so often those, there's those individuals out there also. Yeah. They're out there, they're out there. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, some a conclusion that I've kind of, um, I don't know, come to through this podcast journey is that you need to create your own peace, create your own closure, just because I've found for so many people that, I don't know, they're, yeah, that, that population you talk about who just feels like they're okay with not having accomplished certain things is, it feels like such a small population. I don't know, maybe it's the visibility thing again, or, um, I think yeah, it's antithetical to the athlete mindset. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. So I don't know if there's personality differences there. Some people also just lose interest in their sport. They feel like uh, they have burned out. Burnout's definitely something we talk about on the talk about on the show and the sort of influence that coaches can have. I'm thinking about, you know, when I was playing college soccer during preseason, we'd have classroom sessions. And we'd get uh, a binder and that binder would have stuff about like the, the female athlete triad and ACL injuries and concussions and, you know, how do you manage your priorities? And I'm just thinking about how powerful it would be if that freshman through senior year, you're getting that binder in August and there is one page about athlete transition. It just make, would make such a difference, I feel. Just, you're asking for one page, Hannah, one page. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> I think that for, uh, this, this is just purely my speculation. I, I believe that there is a um, pull from, how do I say this properly? I don't know that people who are active in elite sport want to talk about transition because there is an attitude that if you are not singularly fully and, and completely focused on the here and now and working out as hard as you can and playing as hard, what is our next game? And you have to have your head down that if you start talking about, well, what are you going to be doing when you retire? That this pulls the athlete in some way out of their investment and now you're just confusing them and and they're not going to be as focused as they need to be which um you know to borrow from from our our president uh i believe like malarkey i i, I just think that's a lot of bs um athletes are not singularly focused on their sport they're also students and girlfriends and daughters and um you know, they do philanthropy and they, they have so many other enterprises that need attention. And that actually helps. They have balance. If you have balance in your life, it actually makes you a better athlete. And so feeling cared about by the organization that you're in, this sense that they're in, invested in you in two ways. They're invested in you as an athlete. And they're also invested in you as a human being and a person. I think makes them a better athlete and a better human being. And I feel like there's this perception that doing one comes at the sacrifice of the other, which I don't believe to be true, but I have found that to be some of the thinking 
in organizations. We need our athletes focused on one thing, and that is their performance. And if we can just lock them in a room with nothing but soccer, football, hockey, fencing, fill in the gap, then, then they're going to be the best athlete possible. And there's so much evidence to suggest that that makes them worse, but that still is the prevailing narrative because sport is a bit of a good old boys, old school mentality. It's, it's been, I think, slow to transition in its thinking about athlete mental health, uh, coaching practices, uh, I mean, lots of stuff. Yeah, it brings up uh, something that I've been thinking about, um, which is, do you feel like there has been changes at all in the athlete retirement experience, whether that is in the direction of more traumatic, at least seeing how so many folks of, you know, millennial Gen Z are, are more open about mental health. I don't necessarily know if sport has gotten more intense. I don't feel like I, I could claim that, but at least in that regard, do you feel like there, do you hypothesize that perhaps there's more severe transitions out, um, you know, in this generation than maybe prior, or maybe it was prior because that stuff was stuffed down due to stigma and, and not talking about things. Well, my belief is that there are cohorts of athletes um, for the past 80 years who, because of the way that sport has evolved, because of things like media, money, social media, um, all of those things play an integral part. Uh, professional sport has evolved enormously. Uh, you know, you think back to the era where most major league baseball players had side jobs in the 1920s and 1930s. They had to work for a living. They, they didn't make enough as an athlete, uh, even while they were playing, even while they were competing. Um, and then you have a whole era where professional sports were somewhat microscopic because they weren't um, broadcast. ESPN really brought sport into the mainframe of people's awareness. Uh, there was a time where the only game that was um, on public television was the Super Bowl, uh, for instance. And, and now, you, and then you jump ahead, um, every game is broadcast. And now with social media, I think you're gonna have, you have these cohorts that are differentially impacted both as an athlete and in their transition process because of these changing circumstances. And I, I think we're gonna see that. And if we get enough data and are smart enough in how we utilize it, we'll actually be able to see cultural changes that are likely to have contributed to differential outcomes. Um, at least I'm expecting to see things like that. Yeah, I mean, we're even seeing cornhole broadcasted on ESPN. So sports oh, and esports are becoming a thing. Um, yeah, it's so much so much attention to sport competition, which honestly, in my opinion, and, and I know a lot of people share this, is the best form of entertainment. Um, it's it doesn't have the. I'm just going to call it um, sort of like 
cringy quality of reality TV. Mm -hmm. And it's not as scripted because you never know what's going to happen in sports as compared to other programming. Um, so you just never know what's going to happen. So there's a real powerful appeal to it. Um, people love it. Fandom is enormous. This is a big money industry. And what I'm hoping the big picture outcome of this project is moving some of that resource into athletes who are active in their sports, understanding and prioritizing what is going to happen to them and how to best go through the transition and be prepared for it, and creating services and programs for athletes post-retirement after their transition that continues to support them, particularly the ones who experience chronic issues related to their time in sport, and maybe even utilizing these athletes who are a tremendous resource pool, most of whom are incredibly successful once they get through the transition process, which is profoundly difficult for many, but once they get through, they have incredible tools to utilize for success. Utilizing them as this is kind of my big picture pie in the sky sort of objective and getting some of them trained to be able to work with athletes and go, go and be able to go back to the beginning and finish that the sport development loop of you you get brought into the sport, you compete, you bring other people into the sport and support its growth, either as an athlete or a coach or whatever, and you bring people back in and support them, which starts the whole cycle over again. Um, it would be great to be able to give them the opportunity to share their knowledge, their growth, their wisdom with the incoming generation. Some schools do that, but there isn't nearly the platform and it's not systematic. It's just scattershot. Yeah. It's a really beautiful kind of image to think about. And I wonder if, you know, if it's the individualism maybe of, of, of our society in some way, but it's, yeah, the kind of is that you, as you used the phrase earlier, pushed off the conveyor belt and oftentimes abandoned, you know, friend, why emotionally, um, you know, I always bring up the sort of example of, you know, your coach used to text you that, you know, come down to the office. I want to talk about the next game and those texts stop. Um, but yeah, the sort of circle, um, that you, that you're talking about is really, I, I don't know. I take a lot of, uh, encouragement and, um, excitement thinking about that. You know, maybe one day we'll get that one or two pages of the athlete transition study um, findings and in plastic binders in preseasons around the country. <laughs> Our hope is that we'll be able to get enough information from every sport to be able to work with the governing bodies of archery, badminton, wrestling. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're wanting every sport at the elite level and sending them content about their specific athletes, how they compare to other athletes in similar sports and all sports, and then a general population, and be able to give them specific targeted and practical objectives for how they can help their athletes in the transition process in a mindful way. You know, this is not about necessarily a lot of money. It's about a, taking a targeted approach, knowing when and how to intervene. 
Um, so it's not just throwing money at the problem. Mm -hmm. it, it's knowing the needs and being able to meet them in a targeted way. Absolutely. Well, really just incredible stuff that you guys in the, are doing, volunteer, voluntarily doing. Um, and I know that it's just going to make an incredible impact on, you know, the athletes of now and many generations after. So we just really appreciate it. And I really, you know, appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me. Well, I appreciate having the platform. Uh, the website is athletetransitionstudy.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram uh, and Twitter. Uh, Twitter's athlete, hashtag athlete study. And um, that is the main way that we can get help in making this happen is by taking the survey and sharing it with a, really anybody you know. There is a survey for everyone with one exception. If you are a active elite athlete or you've been retired for less than three months, then you're not eligible. Any athlete who's been retired for three or more months and anyone who never competed in elite sport, you, we, need your, we need your help. We need you to take the survey. To take the survey, visit athletetransitionstudy.com. Thank you to Dr. Daniel Zimmett for coming on to the podcast, and thank you for listening. Hope to see you next time.